Welcome to episode 8 of the Gray Stage. I'll be hosting. My name is Dan Hennen. Along with me is Greg Fernandez, Jr. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. So today is episode 8. We're going through your book. Uh, your book, Greg, that you authored is called The Gray Stage. And this chapter that we're co covering today is a continuation of chapter 5. Chapter 5 is called The Living Room. Uh, we've had two parts already episodes. This is the third episode just on this chapter called The Living Room. There's so much in here, Greg. Lots to cover. And for those following at home uh, with your book, we're going to be covering The Blood Wall today. And that happens to be on page 41 of the, of the actual physical book. Now, what page is that on the PDF file, Greg? In the PDF, that would be page 57. Okay. And so once again, the living room, all of essentially 95% of the crime scene is in the living room. So this is a lot to cover. Today we're going to be covering the blood wall. And what that means is there was a blood, there was blood writing on the wall. Um, the word Allahu Akbar was written on the wall in blood, which really, really makes this case stand out. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. And just a reminder too for those interested, we're getting a lot of members on the Facebook group called Justice for David Crowley and Family. And just this past weekend here we surpassed 3,700 members. So thank you all for, for joining the group. Uh, we've got a really good group there and I enjoy listening and reading everyone's comments and an analysis essentially. We've got a it's a good group, uh, Greg. You know, 3,700 members. We were happy when we cross 1,000 right. threshold. Now we're at 3,700, so it is gaining momentum. And what I'm seeing is more and more out of our country uh, members, uh, non-United States members joining. And so this case, once again, has drawn considerable attention in Pakistan, uh, in the Middle East, and... Uh, in London, the, the UK, Europe, Central America, lots are following this case. And so these these podcasts are very important for that reason because they can listen along and um, get, up to, get up to speed because there's so much to take in. So on the blood wall, here's what's written on, uh, starting on page 41 if you're following along in the book written by Greg Fernandez Jr. BCA crime scene team lead Joe Cooksley noted quote no latent prints observed on writing in blood on West living room wall end quote and so boy that's a that's a huge quote right there to begin with should I continue on or should we discuss uh, that section great yeah I say let's talk about that for one second because that was one of the first okay. questions that came up um uh, was well were these fingerprints or there were I mean we, we also have uh, Jim Gummert also in one of the 21 questions for Jim Gummert that was one of the questions that was asked too uh, were there any 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 latent fingerprints found and he also said no so uh, but here here you have Cooksley who probably said this uh, that day maybe walking in there seeing it maybe a couple of days after um, which is strange. So if there aren't any latent prints found, does that mean, um, or th there's no latent prints observed. So if there's no latent prints, does that mean, you know, that there weren't fingerprints used? Or does that mean that, you know, there was so much blood possibly on these fingers that they just couldn't find any? I, I think either, either way, I think this shows for this is one more thing that shows that David Crowley did, did not do this. They're, how do they just go and they walk in here and they say David Crowley wrote this, looking at this, knowing that there's no uh, latent fingerprints, why would they just blame David Crowley? It's one thing I've never under, understood throughout this whole case. Well, well, number one, it's the easy way out is to blame him because all the evidence all the circumstantial evidence, uh, I should correct myself to say, appears to point to him. Right. Uh, the wife and child are, are dead. Now, there's multiple gunshots to the head of his wife. Uh, 
A child is laying there with a gunshot, killed execution style, and her arm is missing. And David is there uh, with uh, assuming a single gunshot, made it look like uh, that, that he did this. And so, very strange. His wife was at one time Muslim, and so if that had something to do with this or not, I think this was, you know, a, a staged, of, of course, to make it look that way. But when investigators look at the blood writing on the wall, it's written Allahu Akbar, block case lettering, not cursive, block. And regardless if there was too much or too little blood, I, I would, one, one could argue that there would have to be fingerprints in there somewhere you know either where the where the fingers are dipped in the uh, dipped in the blood and you know uh, initially starting to do the writing or at the end of each letter at the beginning of each letter or the end or in those block letters where the letters uh, you know capital letter A for instance uh, and so you would have fingerprints and so when they say they found now the question is, uh, did they test for it? I think the answer is yes, they did. They tested for fingerprints, and they, they found no fingerprints. And so, the, like you said, Greg, the first suspect in a case like that, you would think, uh, in this case, points to, points to David Crowley. And now we know he was right-handed. Did he write this? And if so, in whose blood? And so the tests came back that this was indeed Comel's blood, yeah, but this this takes you know how many weeks did it take for the for the results to come back? So, you know, first lo looking at the scene, you see it's just simply blood or something that appears like blood. Number two, David's right-handed and his right hand was missing from the scene. His right hand was not attached to his body when it was found lying on his back. And his left hand was in a mummified state with no blood on it. And so the question is, if David wrote it, number one, there would be fingerprints. Number two, how could he write it without a hand? So right off the bat, we already have problems with this. We already have problems. And so when the investigators come in, the crime scene technicians, and they start looking for fingerprints, they don't find any fingerprints. And so one must conclude, did someone write it by a person that had no fingerprints? Doubt it, because everyone has fingerprints. Number two, was a glove of some sort used? Uh, was a latex glove, a dishwasher's glove? Uh, someone, you know, we call them a kitchen dishwashing glove, a latex glove, a rubber glove, any kind of glove like that that you would wear or the person doing it would have on would not leave fingerprint, latent print marks. And so the question, and I think we've got a couple uh, uh, folks joining us here uh, uh, today to, for the call too, would be the question is, the only way there would be no fingerprints is if someone used a glove. Now, no glove was found at the scene, but you'd have to ask yourself if David Crowley killed his wife, his daughter, and then himself, what would be the need, what would be the reason for him to wear a glove? And obviously, there is no reason to wear a glove. Only way, only reason you wear a glove is to cover up who did it. And if he did this, he certainly wouldn't have worn a glove. Now we have photos of the trash can in the kitchen and the other trash cans. There are no rubber gloves thrown away. So I think it's safe to assume in this case that whoever did the writing, which was not David, used glove or gloves and took them with them and threw them away or discarded them somewhere else. And so just by seeing that, an amateur investigator sitting at home looking at this would say, look, I, I've got no background in, in criminal justice, uh, no background in law enforcement. Obviously, David or no one in that house wrote the blood. So then the question comes down to who else was in that home, and that's where things drop off. There's, there's no follow-up, there's no investigation, there's no looking into who could have done the writing. And 
so there was nothing on David's right hand. His right hand was missing. And like I said earlier, his hand wasn't found at the scene. His hand was not chewed up by the dog and the bones were scattered. The hand was not found elsewhere, but the skin eaten off. The hand itself was missing from the scene. And so we've got much larger questions to concern ourselves with here. We certainly uh, you know, do. Some are saying that the, the, the police elite, uh, originally alluded to the fact that the dog scavenged and dogs scavenged some of the body parts. Well, that's, that's fair to assume, fair to think, but uh, David's entire right hand was missing. Now, we have to, have to keep in mind, too, if we're going to go along the scavenging route, Comel, his wife, both of her hands were missing, and Rania's entire right arm was missing. And so if we're going to go down that road of dog-animal scavenging, did the dog eat all of those things? And so we've got, we've got problems all around here. And like you mentioned, the, the sergeant of the detective group, uh, the supervisor, was Sergeant James Gummert. So this certainly would have been brought up to him in their detective meetings by the actual detectives on the scene. And we don't know what was said. We don't know how that was answered. We don't know when the test results came back that there's no latent prints on the bloody wall. Uh, I'm assuming the detectives would have would have said, you know, to to their boss, their supervisor, what do we do now? Where do we go now? Because obviously David didn't do this. And so our question from our group and part of this podcast here is, were those types of questions even asked? If they were, how did James Gummer, how could he have satisfactorily even answered those questions right. because we're, we're stuck there. There would be no glove if someone did this. So obviously someone else did it. Now, the other way to go, and we've already done this, Greg, is analyze the handwriting to see who would have written it. Well, we've done a preliminary review of the hand prints, and it does look in some areas that a left hand wrote some of the letters and in some other areas it looks as if a right-handed person wrote the letters. So it could be left or right. Uh, it could be both. It could be both. And some have suggested that perhaps David Crowley's uh, hand was cut off and used to write this blood writing on the wall so he would be blamed for it. But we have a problem with that too. If someone cut off his hand and dipped it in blood to do the writing on this, his fingerprints would be all over that wall. Right. So that's not a suitable, I'll call it a suitable explanation because unless someone put a glove on his hand, so a lot of these things lead to dead ends, but what we like to focus on here, Greg, with the, with the group is the facts. We don't want to go into the various theories. We don't want to go into the opinions of what could have happened because when you're looking at the facts there are no latent prints there are no prints someone used a glove why would that be well it doesn't matter who wore it all we know now is that David didn't and so once again there is zero proof that David Crowley did this because we already know by process of elimination someone other than David or Comel wrote the writing on the wall it certainly wasn't Rania and it could have been Comel because she was the one bleeding. And that was a lot of blood up on that wall. So if you do very, a very elementary level investigation, just, just the very basics on this topic, things don't add up. Now, just um, uh, while, I, while it's still fresh, you know, I've, we've, we've always talked about how this could relate to David's wife, to the religion, all that stuff. What about the possibility that this could be tied to David's military service too? Any any thoughts about that? Well, it could be folks have suspected that this is an honor killing, a Muslim related killing, a religious killing, something to do with his background in the military. But the answer to all those relates to David didn't do it. Right. 
Now, if we're going to spend the time looking at at who could have done it, um, that's that's fair enough, and we could and we could um, set our opinions out there and discuss that all day long. And, and there's really going to be no real conclusion to that. Uh, but that certainly could have been. Um, all all that we know is David didn't do this, and someone killed a family of three in Apple Valley, Minnesota, in at the around Christmas time of 2014. Now. I believe it's those. It's it's up to those with the badges, uh, those in law enforcement, to actually do the investigation to come up with who did it and narrow down the list, come up with a pool of suspects, uh, persons of interest, interview and wit, you know, get witness interviews and actually find out who could have done this. Look into David's history. Look into his military past uh, to see if that could have been the case. The problem is, we aren't even there yet. Right. Within 20- We're just trying to expose the fact that there's evidence all over this case that David didn't do it. And that's not because we're friends and family of David Crowley. We're not buddies with him. We are not, we're fans, not fans of his, of his work. <laughs> right. uh, there's a lot of new members out there. And just to reiterate, Greg, you've never met David Crowley, right? No, never. Okay. And neither have I. I live 30 uh, minutes away. I've never met the man. I've never even heard of the Gray State. I've never heard of the, the project. I've never even seen the trailer. And so we aren't doing this to try to clear his name. We're trying to clear his name because he was wrongfully accused. Wrongfully accused altogether. And the people he's wrongfully accused of is the very police department where they live. So the question is, is it a, is it a cover-up? Is it not? Are they hiding something? Are they incompetent? And those are all fair questions, but the fact of the matter, at the end of the day, David didn't do this, and the family was killed. Um, and that's what we're trying to get across on these, on these podcasts, in your book, on these justice pages. We want justice for this family. We want justice for David, Komel, and Rania, who were murdered in a horrific style. And the problem with all this is that David Crowley was blamed for doing it. And the evidence all over the place points to the fact that he didn't. So there's lots of scenarios, lots of things that could have happened, a lot of what ifs, a lot of who done it. But I think once we get it into the public, into the mainstream, and get it into the into those uh, the people investigating on groups like ours and people looking into this, is to let them know, number one, that it didn't happen this way. This is not an opinion. This is not uh, an opinion of mine or yours, Greg. The fact of the matter is, David Crowley didn't do this. And so we're trying to raise the awareness of a case like this where law enforcement did get it wrong. And whether that was on uh, purpose or accidentally isn't necessarily the point, but someone killed that family a person or persons killed that family and the thing that we're pushing because of the truth and the facts in this matter is that that person to this day or persons are still out there that's the thing that should be sending shivers on everyone's spine now we're going to have you read um, uh, those couple pages there through the through my book but before we get there I, I want to I want people you know when we're thinking about questions when we're thinking about things I, I got a couple lists here a couple questions that I want people to think about as we go through this knowing what we know now or what 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 we don't know and so these are some of the questions that I had you know what proves uh, that David wrote Allahu Akbar in blood in the living room, which I think we've done a pretty good job at covering and it's pretty much ex- explaining that there's really nothing there. And we're talking within 24 hours or less, within hours of finding this these three bodies. Um, second one, the DNA handprint, latent prints, test done, not done, and and what they they found. We've also covered that too. Um, those are the two big ones because I think when when whenever this story is told, um, it's always just they it's always a a guess that David did this, that David wrote this, and then it, it's you know it's never really followed up on. It's it's never they never talk about why they think David did this. And push come to shove, you can you can see that there's just like how we've we've talked about. 
There's no evidence that shows that David did that. Uh, number three, why is Allahu Akbar spelled differently uh, on the wall than it is in the notepad, uh, which will be coming up later in a future chapter? But that's you know that's another interesting point too. If if David did this, it, I mean, does it does that show that there are two people that wrote two two different things in two two rooms here in the same house? It it's very odd that it would be written differently in one room and in the other room with no indi indication of who did what. Uh, number four, were the fingerprints or gloves used? I think we've done a good job covering that too. You know, it makes sense that f that it should have been finger fingerprints. If it was David, it would have been fingerprints. Um, if it's gloves, where are those gloves? And if it's gloves, that probably shows that it was not somebody who lived in that house uh also think about this everyone that's listening when and why was that wall painted white that wall was painted white very early on i mean we're talking about uh by uh january 19th maybe january 20th that wall was painted white also number six why was that why was that hidden from the public that's another big thing. We were never supposed to, to know that there was anything written on that wall. I think that's, you know, that's a big, big problem too. Um, think about how much blood was actually used to write that on that wall. Think about how many fingers per hand and which hand. Uh, those are just some of the questions that I hope people will think about before they just start saying well David went crazy and he's guilty you know these are these are very simple questions that we all hoped would be answered by reading these documents by talking with with cops by talking with friends by talking with family none of them have this answer they don't have the answer and it's very curious anyways just a, a few things to think about um, as we move on to page 42, Dan, unless you got anything else to add there. No, nope, I'll continue on. Page 42, it starts off by saying, Item 11 is a swab of blood writing on the living room wall. Specifically, this item is the second letter A, capital letter A, in Allahu. The blood pointed to a single source, matching Kumel, while excluding David and Rania. The writing appeared to be in blood, Detective Brian Bone wrote in his report, and written with somebody's hand and fingers, as you can see individual finger marks in the writing. That... Similarly, the B in Akbar was swabbed and labeled as item number 12. However, item 12 was not tested for a DNA source, which is interesting since Joe Cooksley requested DNA analysis on both items. Very interesting here. Yeah, I had a, I had a, that was, I mean, why, I don't know why they only tested a couple of them, first of all, thought that was kind of weird, um, but, I mean, this shows that it is Kamel's blood, like we've talked about, but that's really it. I mean, that is supposed to prove that David Crowley did it. It doesn't make make sense. I I do know that in um, in one of the notes, I think it was maybe in Joe Cooksley's notes somewhere, um, that they do talk about David's left hand, and that they did find some blood in in between his hand somewhere. You know, some blood stains or something like that. Uh, but it wasn't on the actual, you know, fingers. Um, but it's just, it's just things like, like that where we're just, we were, I, at least I was expecting more. I expected a lot more to be done here. Um, if you're going to test the A, why not test B? And um, why not do some finger fingerprinting? I mean, we we know that when it when it came to hand handwriting, they didn't do any of those handwriting tests to show. Well, look, you know, this is what David would have would have written, et cetera, et cetera. 
but it's just um you know when you actually read these documents you can clearly see that there's there's something missing here either either they're glossing over a lot of different things or there's something else happening here and i, I think it's important to note that uh, just what you had said greg is very important when we get press releases and statements from the press and kind of talking points like that it's easy to opinionate and put theories together but once we submit the FOIA the FOIA requests and get those back we're looking at the actual statements and reports right. and that I agree 100 percent it gets to be very shocking when you see some of these things there was a a, a reference to I think some handwriting analysis and some email correspondence back and forth between the technicians and the detectives and the technicians gave the answer to something and then they said would you like us to continue on and do any further analysis and the detective from Apple Valley Police Department says no that's all we need for right now that's fine and so what you're stating and what I believe to, to be too true Greg on a case like this you would want any and all information and you'd want to dig to the very bottom of of everything and overturn every stone to get to the answer now they take two swabs of blood on the wall one from the word on the top one from the word on the bottom to both be submitted and tested well all they do then is bring back the results of the one on the top nowhere does it say that the results were even done for the one on the bottom so the question that I have is that something where there would have been correspondence from Apple Valley detectives saying no thanks we don't want that if it was offered or by the way you forgot to you know submit the second one or, or, or inquiring about where the second one is you know thanks for the first one but please do the second one as it as it appears that you missed that one you know we don't see correspondence like that we don't see any communication back and forth with the detectives doing all they can to overturn every stone it's almost as if it's lackadaisical it's almost as if possibly uh, there's extra charges for getting these tests done and the department wasn't uh, isn't interested in getting billed for them it just it just seems like uh, a shortcut was taken on many many of these things this is this is just a couple examples but it seems like when offered they declined to get extra analysis done but I'd be concerned here if I if I submit two two tests on swabs item number 11 and 12 that I'd be expecting to get results back on items 11 and 12 now in the big picture that being said we know it's Comel's blood uh, does it really matter about getting that second one back or not probably doesn't because we already know that it's hers but it'd be nice to see the detectives here fighting for their case fighting to, to to see you know we want both of those back we want to make sure it's complete we want to get a level of completeness on this report we want everything tested we want to know everything about it and we don't simply we simply don't see that and those are just the facts that's not an opinion that I'm making now, do you but you're right there's he said there's written you know it looks like it's written by a hand or fingers we know that that's I think that's pretty obvious they couldn't find latent so they can't do fingerprints although we all know fingerprints should be there but like you mentioned earlier how much blood would it have taken you know is this something that would have taken a pint a quart a, a liter of blood and how would you get it up there to write it would you have to pour it into a bowl or something and then you know you have to stand on top of that couch and those are fluffy cushion couches you'd be sinking in you wouldn't really have much stability but someone had to stand on the sofa to write this and how many times would they had to go up and down to do all the writing to do this or like I said did they have it in a uh, a bowl um, some sort of thing that they can just uh, that would contain it but how would they know how much they would need uh, was she bleeding that bad or was uh, another person holding the body at such an angle that it was able to drain it out into something like that? Was there more than one person involved? Those are the questions that I think are all very fair. And yes, this is gruesome, but this is these are all very fair questions to ask. 
Yeah, because um, it, it, you know, it isn't like Kamel's stomach was cut open. It isn't like we find any other cuts, anything where they bled anything out. Um, they'd have to bleed out from the hands or from her head. But even that is kind of weird because it doesn't really match what the autopsies are saying you know just a couple couple shots i mean most of her head is gone so you know where how is the blood being taken out they should have something mean, they got theories about everything else they got theories about this dog doing all of, of this damage i'm kind of shocked they don't have any theory about how the blood got out of kamel's body onto this wall um I, I just thought that they would have more on on that i can understand why they chose this a and this b because those that's where most of the blood it looks like you know there's a lot more blood there so to me that makes sense but if you look at that b it's almost like um it's it's not a full b so it's you know when did they run out did they go over you know it, there's a lot of problems here uh there's you know you got that that clock there too um so someone was asking why didn't they move that that clock uh, we've also wondered about that couch did they pull that couch out because there's no blood that we can see on that couch either and unless a person is what seven feet tall maybe i don't know how they're going to reach that reach the the very top of that ceiling and uh, uh, so much so that if you look at the image uh, with BCA4443, there is a little blood um, on the top of the, of the ceiling. I know some people, um, few, uh, one guy, I forget his name, very nice guy, but he, he did a video thinking that the blood on the ceiling next to this blood wall, he, he thought that that was a, um, a, a bullet hole, which it obviously isn't. But it is blood way up up there um so somebody was really reaching and it just i don't know if they were pressed for for time so they didn't move that clock obviously i mean the make the biggest reason not to move that clock because you don't want to get your fingerprints or anything on it but that just seemed kind of kind of strange too um and dan i know you did a great video kind of breaking this this down um about that blood and about you know what it it would take if if they were on a couch how they could do it how tall they would be but getting the blood from Kamel's body onto that wall uh that's that takes effort and it, that takes time too yeah it's it it poses many questions and and all of them are, are good questions uh we've got this Allahu Akbar written in all capitals and then if we look at the notepad in the office that David uh, had in his office it says submit to Allah now that's written in lowercase mm -hmm. and so the consistency here I almost find it it's almost easier uh, Greg what I find is to is to look for the errors that were made uh, mm -hmm. if you look at the errors that were made in this staging um, they're all over the place. You would have a simply a consistency in writing this in lower or upper, uh, but one could argue David was forced to write the notepad because he did write that. That's in lowercase and that looks exactly how he writes. Although the one on the wall is uppercase and doesn't resemble the way David makes his A's or B's or H's at all. And so they've got errors were made on the staging. Now as far as the clock being there, I think that could have been taken down or removed if the perpetrators had gloves on that wouldn't have left any fingerprints anyway, so they could have done it. One speculation, uh, which, which, I, which I think and I still think to this day is uh, they didn't add that U until later. Uh, a normal and I want to say, and I, would, I don't want to get this wrong, but uh, a normal uh, U.S. or American would, would think it's just Allah Akbar, you know, A-L-L-A-H, Allah Akbar. Technically, uh, accurately, it's actually written Allahu Akbar. So it appears what I had, my opinion on this particular case was there was more than one person who did this. The person who did the, did the blood writing on the wall wrote Allah Akbar, and then the person that that was the person that was with says, you know, you got to you got to add a U there. It's going to look wrong. 
So instead of taking the clock down, they went back later and added a small letter U above it. So that's just my opinion, but you can tell that mistakes mistakes were made here, and they were trying to frame, they were trying to make this a religious murder, a religious killing, an honor killing, something about the Muslim faith, because, and we had alluded to earlier, if the bodies were found January 17th of 2015, and it wasn't until later, I think it was sometime in March, that the public first became aware that there was any Muslim angle to this anyway. Nothing was mentioned about the note that says submit to Allah now. Nothing was mentioned about the Quran on the floor and nothing was mentioned about the blood on the wall. And I think one answer was the Alam family who are Muslim faith specifically wanted that to be kept out of the public's eye. And I think that the Apple Valley Police Department honored that and they and they kept it out. Uh, well, maybe it was. It wasn't it a year later when the Fox Nine News investigators came out and leaked this whole story about the Allah correct Akbar. Was that when it came out? That's that's when it first came out. Yep, I think okay. up until that up until that point, um, they were hiding it. The the problem with the family uh, being the ones who said no is that the family didn't even know. They didn't know uh, 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 about this until until at, at least march of 2015 whenever they finally um sat down and talked with the cops that's when they found out about all of this weird writing and, and stuff i don't think that that they knew about that when this wall was covered over i mean they would have had to have known on january 20th at the very latest so three days later they would have had to have known hey there's this writing here we're going to cover it up um you know, nobody nobody saw that. Judy didn't didn't see that either. Um, she saw just about everything else, but she did not see that. Um, so there were, you know, it's it just seems like, and even um, Hendrix too. When I spoke with with him, he from what he said, um, when they were there, it was already covered up. He didn't know what that was. Now they were already saying David Crowley was was guilty. And they're all claiming that they don't know what's behind this white white wall. We find out later what this is. And then all of a sudden, their story changes to where, well, it was a parting shot towards Kamel and her family. And that's where a lot of the, you know, the distance between um, Kamel's family and David came in. And then you talked with, with Kamel's dad. And it's like, no, there's there was... There was nothing really big there. They had their own fights and their own problems and stuff, but nothing like this. David served over over there. I think he would know how to write this. And I think if he wrote it in two separate rooms, he would write it the exact same way. A lot of stuff Correct. like that. A lot of stuff. And it's it's all very interesting because it's 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 so strange. Number one, I don't think you would write it anyway. We hear of these <laughs> right. terrorist events that uh, people scream it out before they kill themselves, or scream it out before they set off a bomb. You hear this Allah Akbar, and uh, it's kind of more in the psyche of the American public here that we hear this this fear of uh, these crazy uh, Islamic extremists that do this. But I've never. On all my research, seen where that's ever written at a crime scene, or written down, or put on a wall, or written in blood at all. I've never seen it, for sure, written in English. It's usually in, it's it would be written in Arabic. So I think the mistakes that were made here is is trying to point the finger as to what happened. And like you said, the bodies were discovered January 2015. The whole Muslim angle, I think, was kept from the family until they came into town to, to have a sit down and meet is uh, that was March of 2015 when the family first was even became aware of this and then it was January 2016 when this all became news in the public and I think what happened there was Fox 9 news investigators when they broke the story on TV they leaked it they got this out and they were maybe told not to bring up this Muslim angle either That's right. and right. they may have done so uh, right. on purpose or not but uh, Apple Valley police said that they were even instructed to Fox 9 News to not or to cover this up um, sorry not the blood writing but to not mention the Muslim angle at the request of the family so your question is now very fair why was it covered up and if it was from the family that that's fair enough they could have requested 
um, to push that. Um, but why was it covered up for two months at the very beginning? Yeah. You know, so it's it's we got a lot of co coverage. We got a lot of strange things. And then the when the crime scene was closed and the house was opened back up, the cleaners came in that next day. And like you had said, it was painted. I don't know if it was one or two or three coats of what appeared to be white paint over this writing. And I don't know if any attempts were made to clean the blood off first or they just painted over it, but it was a big, what appeared to be a square or a, or a, a big square of just white. And so that's when Mason Hendricks and some of those friends came over into the house and they didn't know what was behind it, but they knew that the wall was painted. And so I'm assuming they may have thought too or assumed that it was blood spatter but I've never seen where blood spatter would have been painted over. Um, I don't even know if professional cleaners coming into a house would even carry a gallon of white paint with them. You know, was is that something that they normally do? Is that their job to paint or is their job to clean? And so, how did that all come about? Who got the paint? Where did the paint come from? Who bought the brushes? A uh, professional cleaning company is there to clean the carpets. And the scrub and the and the tiling and the floor and, and things like that to clean and get the smell out of the house. I don't believe it's their job to paint, but I could be wrong. We can always use comments um, in the comments section of this video Definitely. as far as um, background on that. But it's very strange, nonetheless. Yeah, and and why why white? Why, and it, why? Maybe it's not that big of a deal why it was why they painted it white, but it's it just seems like you know if I want to cover it up, you know, I'm painting it black or so I'm painting it a darker cover color because especially over over green, it's it's going to seep through. I would think. Well, I I agree. The white would have taken probably three coats on that square to cover it up enough that people wouldn't put two and two together. Whereas a simple coat of or two of black paint would have done the job. Uh, who knows? And that that gets back to the question too: Was there any black paint available? Or maybe the true. only thing they had was white. True. Very. Very. But someone true. got tasked. Someone got tasked with right with painting the wall, from we assume the the uh, cleaning company. Yeah. Primary, I don't think it would have been the detectives. Could have been them too. Yeah. But my question is: I'd like to know who did the painting and who ordered or who instructed someone some John Doe to do the painting in that house. Yeah, we we and did we did reach out to the company, to the cleaning company, um, but I've never heard back from from them. Just to find that out, the, the, I think it's very important to to find out when that wall was painted over. Uh, I think that would probably help. I think that would help a lot. Well, I think it would have, would have been painted on the 18th or the 19th of January would be the only two days, but yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to know that the exact date and the you know the time when that was done because it still would have had taken some time to dry and put another coat on. But it's very strange. Now, Greg, a point you brought up earlier was how much blood was there, and now we know that it's Comel's. But for those that are new here in the group, her body was there in front of the sofa, laying on her belly, on her stomach, laying face down. But there really wasn't a lot of blood there on that living room rug. And this amount of blood means there would have been a, a big, large stain somewhere, and there wasn't. So there is speculation that the body's removed. There's speculation that the blood was drained out in a different location or a different spot, perhaps. Uh, we found that strange rubber plastic tubing, I guess, in the downstairs basement bathtub. And some have you know, thought maybe the... Uh, the bloodletting was done down there. That's, I guess, a fair question as well. But it does seem, without any injuries from the neck down to Comel, where would this blood come from? Now, her hands were missing, which does allude to the fact that for this much blood to come out, you'd have to be living, uh, hmm. correct? So was she tortured? Was her hands um, cut off? Was she gone through and her wrists uh, slit and drained into this as she slowly died and then they shot her after the fact you know so there's there's all this other conjecture as far as different location a secondary crime scene was this family tortured and then just you know finally killed later there's no blood spatter really too much on the walls or the ceiling here in this house at all to assume that three people were shot to death with five you know five pistol from a handgun shot of a 40 caliber hollow 
point bullet. Uh, there would be blood spray and spatter all over this living room. So were they killed at another location? Um, all those questions I think are safe. Yeah, and, and here's the whole the whole thing. There's there's a reason why. The, the reason why we're asking all these questions, we're not just asking these questions to ask them. We're asking them because there's no answers. There's no answer to show why David Crowley's guilty, why we should not be asking these questions. We're not asking them just because we want to be right, because we want to show that David Crowley didn't do this. We're asking what proves David Crowley did this, and because of the lack of any facts that show that David did any of this stuff, um, we, we have to ask these questions. It's normal to ask these questions. We don't just have to let this whole case die to let these things die, because if David didn't do it, somebody did, and they could do it a second time. This doesn't mean that this is over. You know, and, and that's it's very Im important that people also understand why we are asking these questions, why you created this this group, why we are doing what we are doing. There is a big reason for it. And it's not, you know, it, it's it's not because we want to put ourselves in this spotlight. It's, it's because there's still a killer out there, maybe maybe multiple killers. Something like this that can happen, that can be covered up so quickly, could happen to anybody. And that's not right. It's, it's not right when, when children get killed. They deserve better. So even if you think David's the worst person, PTSD, Kamel went crazy, all of that, even if you think all of that, it's very important to understand, to look at, well, what proves that David did any of this? And generally, when you start talking with people who are, who are gung-ho, they are set that David Crowley is guilty, they can't answer any of those questions because they don't know either. And they just want to just, you know, move on. But it's like, okay, well, fine, but you, you, can, you can do that. But why just guess? Why just think, well, you know what? I'm just going to think that uh, David Crowley's guilty and that's it. You know, I mean, don't you care about truth? Are we are we not here to, you know, find justice in these simple cases like like this? It, it, it really baffles me. We're, we're over five years now. And I think that's why there are 3,700 people in this in this group. And why it continues to grow. I literally blinked. We were at 3,600 something. I literally blinked a couple times and we're over 3,700 now, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's when I get up in the morning, when I go to this the site, the first thing I have to do is to approve the new members. And, and lately there's five or six every day, uh, every single day. And most of them come after watching that documentary called A Gray State done by Eric Nelson uh, and they watch it and they have an uneasy feeling that it doesn't make sense and so they do start doing searches they come up on our page and they join uh, the other thing too is that once again we're sticking to the facts and if David Crowley killed himself there would be a bullet there would be a bullet fragment in that house with his blood on it there isn't there is no bullet no bullet to this day was recovered with David Crowley's blood after he allegedly shot himself in the head. So we've already got that problem. Big, big issue. Yeah. Small neighborhood, six shots fired, even seven when you count the one into the into the uh, into the basement. That's a forty caliber handgun with neighbors pretty close to each other. For for any neighbor not to hear those amount of shots going off is our another raised antenna that that it just it seems goofy and with all the staging that happened in the house the killer or killers was not in any hurry to exit the premises by the time that was all taken to do this the writing the uh that you had the notebook issue we've got the laptop running the music playing a notepad program that says i have loved you all with all my heart uh allegedly written by david on a on a template, on a, on a, on a Word document, text pad, uh, but yet no suicide note. And all of this, all of the shenanigans that, that are in this house, the overstaging, I call it, was not something that could have been done in a quick manner for the killers or the perpetrators to quickly exit and leave the house. They were in, some, in there for a while and they had time to do all of this. And we know when they left, 
those front curtains to that picture window facing out directly to the street was wide open when they left. So I think that they were closed when all this was going on. They left it wide open, exited the scene. We know that the rear slider was unlocked and left slightly ajar. And there's a gun laying next to David's left hand and he was right-handed and his right hand was missing. And so um, the whole thing, nothing, nothing adds up. But yes, we're doing this to get the truth out. We're doing this to raise awareness so people can look into this because uh, um, uh, we've been bamboozled with this official narrative. And the question is, was it on purpose knowing that the public is gullible or were the detectives uh, that incompetent to, to not follow up on this, to not look in any further, to not look at these things. And so those are our two answers right now. It's got to be either choice A or B. There are no options C or D. It's one of those two. And so we're just doing our best to get uh, some of this information out there. Is there anyone in the in the chat room or any questions coming up, Greg? Uh, we got a few people there in, in the chat, but I think we've pretty much covered it all. And um, I say we shut this one down until we, I think we'll, we'll do one more show on the living room. We'll go through some of the other things that we haven't covered yet. But um, I think as far as the blood wall, I think we pretty much, you know, hopefully some people out there uh, will start thinking about some of these questions that we've raised here. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time, Greg. And and uh, look forward to this getting out there and uh, and being posted on the various pages and for those to watch because there are a lot of new members and we do welcome them and, and, and encourage them to watch uh, videos like this. Yep, we'll have that video out and we'll also have this in a podcast version um, all, always on the first of every month we always put out a new podcast. Excellent. All right, thank you, Greg. Thank you, my brother. Hope you have a good day. Now we're also going to look at a few of the comments here. We're going to focus on two comments. One made by Sidra Alam, Kamel's sister, and another by Mason Hendricks, who is the friend of David Crowley. So on March 13, 2015, Detective Gummer Brian Bone and Detective Sean McKnight spoke with Dan Crowley Sr., Dan Crowley Jr., David Crowley's mom, Kate Crowley, and David Crowley's sister, Allison Crowley. And they also spoke with Sidra, according to Brian Bone's report. Now, this is the first indication that the family was notified about the blood writing. This is dated March 13, 2015. So that's the first time that any of them know about this blood writing. And you can find this on page 86 of the 94 pages of police reports. Here's some interesting stuff here. Quote, we presented the facts of the case to the family as of that time, Detective Bone reported. No details or information were withheld. All information was discussed and all questions were answered to the best of our abilities. Then we have this blacked out portion on page 86. We know that this is where they talk about the blood wall writing. Even though we don't know exactly what is said, we know that this is the first time that the family learned of the Quran. So it's also probably the first time that they learned of the blood wall writing. Here is a quote about the Quran from Detective Brian Bone. We also advise the family of the Quran being at the scene. I showed them a picture of the Quran in the state it was found in. I advise it is unknown if that was the page it was left open to at the time of their deaths because of the presence of the dog in the house. Sidra read the passage and said that it was open to the quote-unquote forgiveness prayer which people in the Muslim religion say over their dead. Now remember, this is all before authorities had the information from their Dropbox accounts. This is before the authorities had the autopsy reports. And this is before the authorities had the BCA lab findings. Very important stuff right there. As noted by Detective Brian Bone. Still on page 86. You can check that out for yourself. 
So who knew of the blood writing and the Quran and why wasn't this related to the family earlier? It's always been an uh, interesting question. But who knew it? But did anybody know about this blood writing before March 13, 2015? Remember, the bodies are found on January 17, 2015. Now, the report also doesn't mention the many other pages of the Quran that's scattered throughout the living room. Hopefully, Sidra saw those too. Um, if she's seen the images, you'll clearly see that. If she's looked at some of the documents, you'll be able to also see the number of scattered pages around the whole living room. Another question, why would there be a forgiveness prayer? Why would the Quran be open to a forgiveness prayer? And then pages are torn out. It's a little contradictory to me. So, in the same room, all next to the bodies, including David's, that's the other thing. If you look at a map of the items found, you will see that the torn out pages go all the way from where David was to the other side of Kamel. Okay, now we're going to look at what Mason Hendricks stated when he was quote-unquote sure there is something underneath the painted wall. And we'll look at the notes from the Death of a Dystopian article here, written by Alec Wilkinson. Quote, in the living room, David had done something that the police omitted from their incident report and waited months before telling the families. Months. With his hands covered in his wife's blood, he stood on the couch and wrote on the wall, quote, Allah U Akbar, which means God is great. On the floor by Kamel, he had placed a Quran open to a prayer of forgiveness. This is all from Alec Wilkinson's Death of a Dystopian article. A few days after the bodies were discovered, David's father and sister went into the house. The police had told them that they should have it cleaned first, and the cleaners had cut out the floorboards where the blood had warped them so it was clear where the bodies were laying. On the wall behind the couch was a rectangle of white paint. Otherwise, the house was as it had been. A friend of David's, Mason Hendricks, went into the house several times on the family's behalf to sort through David and Camille's possessions and see what was worth keeping. When he saw the white paint on the wall, we're talking about Mason Hendricks, when he saw the white paint on the wall, he felt certain that something had been written beneath it because he and David had talked about berserkers and Norsemen and the practice of writing in blood to leave a message before dying. Last spring, I believe this article was written in uh, 2016, maybe 2017. Alec Wilkinson goes on. Last spring, I went to the house with Hendricks. It had been repossessed. The neighbors hoped that whoever buys it will tear it down and build a new one. But Hendricks knew the code on the finance company's lockbox. It had been more than a year since the killings. Clothes hung in the closets where David and Camille had left them. The Christmas tree was still there. And there was a small shrine of candles and dried flowers where the floorboards had been cut out. The white paint on the wall was still there. And I wondered if the cleaners had washed the wall or had simply painted over the letters and they were still there. Okay, and then um, Mason Hendricks also posted a weird uh, message with about a song about some blood writing that quote-unquote said, now, now we die, which was very odd. I think he took it down afterwards, but um, when I asked him about it, he said it was just a coincidence. Uh, but it, that was pretty odd to have written something, uh, to have posted something about a song about now we die knowing uh, what David, that David had written something in blood. It's just pretty odd stuff. But that is odd that this would be kept from the family, that this blood wall writing would be kept from the family for months. We are now over 3,700 people in the Justice for David Crowley and Family Facebook group. If you have not joined the group, please consider doing so. It's a lot of great information, a lot of great topics, and lots of great discussions. Just make sure you keep it relevant to the David Crowley topic. So you can always go back and check out our previous seven episodes of the Gray Stage podcast, and I hope that you do. I hope you get to see them all. There's a new podcast that comes out every month.
Now you can also get my book, The Gray Stage by Greg Fernandez Jr. You can get that for free online if you go to thegraystage.wordpress.com. And if you would like to buy the book, you can always do that by going to lulu.com and searching for Greg Fernandez Jr. It'll come up. Very soon I will release it for worldwide world very soon I will release it for a worldwide distribution. So that will be available. Uh, at more places, not just on uh, lulu.com. If you'd like an autographed copy, all you have to do is send me an email to mbstalkradio at gmail.com, and we will work out those details there. Any, anyone who buys that usually gets um, a couple other little goodies too as well. And in the future, there will be an updated version. So I am working on a revised version. I want to thank everybody who has helped me uh, with the grammar, with the spelling, with the punctuation errors that they've found. I'm not shy to, to say that. Um, and I wasn't prepared to spend thousands of dollars to have it professionally edited. So uh, to all of you who have helped, I really appreciate that. And I will be going back and updating that and I'm going to update it and add some more information in the book too hopefully like some of the things that we've covered here so at the time I couldn't find certain things to flow so I'm going to include some of those extras and um, I'll also be including some other little tidbits of information alright I want to thank you all and uh, we will come back here to episode 9 and we're going to be covering this will be the last part part four this will be the last part of the living room and then we'll finally be able to move on this was a, a very tough chapter a lot was happening here and most of the crime scene is right here in this living room and again what we know for sure no proof david crowley is guilty we're going to keep reading on looking for that and you will see for yourself it's not there nada missing God bless you all. Until next time. Murder at 1051 Ramsdale Drive. What happened to David Crowley, his wife, and his daughter? If this was truly a double murder-suicide, why did investigators fail to prove David Crowley guilty? Where is the evidence David Crowley killed his wife and daughter? Where is the evidence David Crowley killed himself? Within 24 hours of finding the bodies of David Kamel and Rania Crowley, the Apple Valley Police Department were treating the incident as a double murder-suicide. Authorities cannot prove David wrote Allahu Akbar in his wife's blood on the living room wall. Authorities cannot prove David wrote I have loved you all with all of my heart on a laptop in the kitchen. Authorities cannot prove David wrote Open the Rise most recent version Submit to Allah Now on a notepad in his office bedroom. Authorities cannot prove the dog trapped inside the house ate David's right hand, both of Kamel's hands, and their daughter's right arm, since dog feces tests were never done. Authorities did not know about a bullet that rolled out of a living room carpet until they were notified by the cleaning company two days after the bodies were found. That bullet would later be tied to Rania Crowley. Authorities did not see the bullet hole in the living room ceiling or the bullet in the attic above until they questioned David's friend a month after the bodies were found. Authorities did not find a motive to support their accusations against David Crowley. Authorities did not find David's blood on any of the bullets at the crime scene. Authorities do not know when David Kamel and Rania Crowley died. What we know for sure is that David Crowley has not been proven guilty. A simple truth. It really is this simple. Either you believe David Crowley is innocent or you believe he is guilty. If you believe David Crowley is guilty, you are wrong. 
If you believe David Crowley is innocent, you are right. It really is that simple. A United States Army veteran is dead. His wife and his five-year-old daughter are dead. A thorough investigation would only conclude with authorities admitting they lacked evidence to support their accusations. If authorities were to admit the case remains unsolved, they would also have to admit that the public may still be in danger. I am not able to solve this case. My interest is in forcing authorities to admit David Crowley is innocent. The reason they refuse to talk about this case is not because they are confident of David's guilt. They lack confidence in their allegations. Their department wishes to move on, but they are only lying to themselves. They must know the simple truth, and they need to publicly admit this. Their credibility depends on it now. The unspoken truth is that David is innocent until proven guilty. Why are authorities running from the simple truth? How long do they think they can run for? You cannot run from God. You cannot run from your nightmares. And you cannot run from the facts. Why would anyone want to? What could possibly motivate someone to try? If you cannot prove David Crowley guilty, then he remains innocent. It's as simple as that. So the resistance we face is disgusting. If David was guilty, the evidence would be right in our faces. If David was guilty, resistance to our questions would not exist. If David was guilty, facts would be evident. There are no facts to prove David guilty. There are only facts which prove David innocent. Hence the resistance to getting justice for David Crowley family. Who cares? Do the people who closed this case and decided to not speak about it ever again really care? Do the friends who accused David Crowley of being guilty days after his body was found really care? Perhaps they only care about spreading the accusations of David's guilt instead of researching the facts of this case. They don't seem to care about the facts which prove David innocent. Truth is a simple thing. Justice does not die. Facts prove David is innocent.